This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Everyone has embarrassing stories from their school days. The sheer existence of that many aggressively hormonal teens in one place makes it simply unavoidable. For my part, the moment I remember the most is when I accidentally removed my dance partner's skirt in an opening night performance of Bye Bye Birdie. When putting her down after the simplest of lifts, her Velcro came away as I removed my hands. Luckily, she caught and replaced the skirt almost instantly, and it fit the scene for me to shoot the audience a smirk. Apparently, we were both so convincing that the school principal actually thought it was part of the choreography. In this week's story, our teller brings to life a moment of his teenage embarrassment that spiraled out of control. Recorded live at the Davis Theater in Chicago in January 2023, Second Story is proud to present Unexpected Drag. In the spring of 1986, I was sitting at the kitchen table polishing my collection of multicolored 20-sided dice with a special terry cloth towel while reading Queen of the Spiders, still the best-selling Dungeons & Dragons campaign of all time. When my mother stormed in the room, God damn it, Scotty, I got a call from your PE teacher today. Is it true you haven't been in gym for the last three weeks? I should have known he would call. Coach Bryson was everything I was not. Confident, intimidating, perfect hair, the kind of physique that screams body dysmorphia, and a fanatical belief that there is nothing more important than high school PE which was a problem since I was 6'5 and close to 350 pounds and had zero athletic ability. My junior year alone, I had accidentally hit Tim Patrick, varsity track star, with a baseball bat, inadvertently bludgeoned Peter Van Dyke's second trombone with a badminton rocket, unwittingly cudgeled Katie Johnson AV club with a jump rope handle, and nearly decapitated Andrew Weinberg's student hall monitor with a discus, although in my defense, Andrew should have known, snitches get stitches. <laughs> Scotty, I asked you a question. Mom. Please, it's swimming. I had hoped that the word swimming would explain everything I didn't want to, that I hated my body, that I was tired of being shamed, that I'd rather be pantsless and tied to the flagpole than shirtless in front of my co-ed gym class. Scotty, listen to me, she began with a gentle smile. If I get another call about this, I'm taking away all your goddamn Dungeons and Dragons books. Do you understand? I spent the next 14 hours desperately trying to figure out a plan. I had to come up with something because Dory Salzman, the unrequited love of my life, was in my gym class, and there was no way I was letting her see me with my shirt off. And that's when it hit me. They couldn't make me swim if I didn't have a swimsuit. Wasn't sure we'd see you today, Coach Bryson beamed as I walked into the locker room the following day. I forgot my suit, I said, my voice filled with pretend remorse. Bryson smiled his perfect smile, straightened his perfect hair, flexed his overdeveloped yet still perfect biceps and said, not a problem, sweetheart, and rolled out a bin of navy blue community Speedos. I thought about faking a seizure, but my mother somehow 
projected her voice into my head. If I get another call, I'm taking away your Dungeons and Dragons books. I waited until everyone else had exited the locker room before trying on a clammy, too tight community Speedo. <laughs> I twisted and turned my torso in the mirror, hoping to find just the right combination of lighting, posture, and holding in my stomach to hide 80 pounds. In case you are ever wondering what it's like to be a shirtless fat kid in the 80s entering swim class for the first time, it's kind of like a teenage poolside version of Circe Lannister's Walk of Shame. <laughs> Tim O'Malley, captain of the debate team and something something in student government was the first to charge forward and rub my stomach. He was immediately followed by Lee Murray, smoker slash burnout, who stepped forward, placed his face in the center of my chest and blew for all he was worth. Within seconds, I was overrun by my classmates' hooting, belly rubs, and man-boob violations. Finally, I was approached by Dory Salzman, the unrequited love of my life. Our eyes locked, and suddenly I was hopeful that maybe this is how Dory and I would get together, a result of this horrible situation and Dory's bottomless well of empathy. Hey, she began while I tried to smile, would you like to borrow my bra? Enough, Bryson shouted, ending the laughter. Today we're treading water for 10 minutes, everyone into the pool. I swam straight to the middle of the deep end and submerged everything but my eyes like an obese Jewish crocodile. For the first few moments, despite everything that had just happened, I couldn't stop myself from noting that Dory Salzman, the unrequited love of my life, actually just spoke to me. True, she was body shaming me with her underwear, but still, progress. And before I go any further, I want to state for the record that there was no version of this self-talk that was remotely titillating. There was nothing I was saying that was in any way exciting, nothing in my head that was the least bit erotic. And the reason I need to clarify this is because that moment was the moment before the moment that has haunted me for the rest of my life. I remember quite clearly the panic, no, the terror over the familiar tingling, the, the telltale twitching, the mixture of horror and disbelief as my body committed the worst crime against itself that it possibly could. Because suddenly, I wasn't just a floating fat kid in a community speedo, I was a floating fat kid in a community speedo with an erection. <laughs> One more pronounced than any other erection I have ever had. At first, I tried to talk to it. Please, please, you have to go away. I don't care how jolly you are. Once you're a fat kid with a boner in a community speedo, there's no coming back. <laughs> Two minutes, Bryson screamed. I closed my eyes and tried to will it away, holding my breath in the same way one might try to get rid of hiccups, but the erection would not be denied. One minute. I began to punch and twist the boner, hoping to pummel it into non-existence, grateful for the water masking my tears. 30 seconds. On cue, I heard my mother's voice. Really, Scotty? Pitching a tent in a pool? In a Speedo? Bring me your Dungeons and Dragons books right now. And then the whistle blew. All right, everyone out. Within seconds, 
I was the only one in the pool. And for the first time in my life, I prayed to Jesus, which is especially notable because I'm Jewish, but I swore I would convert if he would just please, please take my erection. Waldman, quit messing around. Out of the water now. Instantly, the eyes of every single student in the class were on me, but unfortunately, the mixture of terror and adrenaline had ossified my nether regions. <laughs> I mean it, Waldman, stop being a clown. I desperately looked around for anything that might help and inadvertently making eye contact with so many of my amazed classmates. Aaron Nitzkin, who got suspended from marching band for smoking weed. Isabel Chung, who once yelled at me because I gave her a surprise high five and she plays the concert piano. Betty Nielsen, who never spoke to anyone other than her boyfriend Chappie, which was short for Dave, which made no sense to anyone whatsoever. <laughs> Waldman, get out of the water or I swear to God you'll regret it. And that's when I noticed Dory Salzman, the unrequited love of my life, and she was smiling. And it wasn't the normal contemptuous, you are so, so beneath me smile, but something else. And it was, I was so lost in her eyes that I completely missed the fact that Coach Bryson was removing his shirt. It wasn't until I heard the splash that I realized that Bryson was swimming toward me. And suddenly there was a cacophony of cheers and in my mind, relaxed by Frankie Goes to Hollywood began to play and I started swimming away from him as fast as I could. <laughs> Which was not as fast as it might have been due to the unexpected drag. as Bryson and I threw ourselves into the great boner swim race of 1986. I had a significant lead and was naturally buoyant, but he was an athlete and knew how to swim. My head swung wildly from side to side as I looked over my shoulder and watched Bryson close the distance with powerful strokes. And to my disbelief, I saw the unrequited love of my life, Dory Salzman, standing alongside the rest of my gym class screaming, go Waldman, go. They were actually cheering for me. And suddenly, I was Aquaman. I reached the far wall well ahead of Bryson and with my back to my classmates, launched myself out of the pool. I tore into the locker room and increased my lead as I turned the corner and exited the hallway. But unfortunately, my feet were wet and slippery and I was running so fast, I slammed into a bank of lockers and fell to the ground, but then jumped right back up and into the face of Adam Strauss, who was both a mathlete and the lead in the high school play, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. What the hell, Waldman, he screamed, but before I could respond, Coach Bryson stormed in the hall, completely soaked and very pissed. He tried to pull me backwards, but as a fat, wet kid, I was almost completely frictionless. <laughs> so I slipped out of his grasp and back into Adam Strauss. You're getting water on my polo, Adam screamed. God damn it, Waldman, Bryson yelled. That's a swear, I thought, as if bad language was somehow the worst thing that was happening. And I was just about to make another break for it when Bryson bear hugged me. And despite the fact that he was close to breaking my ribs, I started to cry, not with sadness, but with relief, as I realized I may have lost the battle, but I won the war. My erection was gone. <laughs> Thankfully, I was allowed to get dressed before being dragged into the office. I remained 
completely silent while the coach, the principal, and my mother took turns demanding to know why I had incited a riot in the swimming pool, but I said nothing. Because I knew I would be applying for college soon and there was no way I could have an erection on my permanent record. They finally settled upon three days of out-of-school suspension, weekly meetings with a social worker, and having to repeat the entire swimming unit with a different gym class. What I faced in the dean's office was nothing compared to the interrogation from my mother driving the car ride home. How could you do this to me? Don't you want to graduate? Don't you know I'm a single mom with three jobs? I mean, it's one thing to ditch Jim, but causing a rebellion during swim class? And you're not going to explain yourself? That's not going to fly. No, sirree. You know what we're doing when we're getting home? We are going to bring your Dungeons and Dragons books to Goodwill, and you can sit and watch as I drop them off, and then I promise I had a boner, Mom, okay? I was stuck in a pool with a boner. I get satisfied. <laughs> we drove home in an uncomfortable silence <laughs> that continued all night long. There were a few subtle changes at school after that day. Coach Bryson still hated me, and Dory Salzman remained the unrequited love of my life. But there were a few weeks where she and the rest of the gym class actually said hello when I walked down the hall. Most importantly, the morning after the boner in the pool incident, as no one but me has ever come to call it, <laughs> there was a brand new version of the Dungeons and Dragons Deities and Demigods guidebook on the kitchen table, along with a note that read, I called the school and told them you were not to participate in swimming for the rest of the year due to a chlorine allergy. We'll talk about your boner when you're ready. <laughs> Love, Mom. This story was produced by Ali Drum, Christine Thorin, and Jenna Myers, curated by Deb Lewis, and directed by Liz Rice, with music and sound design by Michael Benedict. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.